You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that, from all different fields, are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. You're listening to another episode of Grit and Grace, and I'm really excited to have Michelle Mallon with me today. And Michelle and I first met during our podcast planning for Shock and Awe 2.0, where my co-host and I, Tony Drees, we are saluting veterans with grace. And Michelle originally was given, you know, a bunch of contact information about the show because she is one of the co-founders of the Honor Bell Foundation. And we met, uh, we were introduced sort of in the processing side of setting up Shock and Awe's podcast. And then Michelle and I connected outside of the show and we sat down and had a really great conversation and just got to know each other a little bit. And during that time, I discovered the most amazing woman that she is. And... We wanted to we wanted to do this show to talk to you guys more about I want to say gratitude and appreciating life and living life to the fullest and really looking at the things that matter the most to you because Michelle has a very unique story to tell and I'm really glad and honored that you're here and thanks for coming. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, as I said to you a little while ago. I have done a lot of media for the various projects I've worked Mm -hmm. on in the nonprofit, but I have never talked about me. I've never told my story before. So I really appreciate the chance to do that. And you and I have a lot in common. You know, we have a lot in common with our nonprofit backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as event planners, you know, we we are a particular breed. (laughs) (laughs) A little crazy. A little crazy. (laughs) But there is, I always want to, I like to think of it like we have an organized type of mind Mm -hmm. because to really effectively implement an, an, an event over and over again and choose that insanity over and over again takes a particular type of organization because that's what an event is all about. It's literally just being extremely organized and being able to be the conductor of all the strings all at the same time and feel comfortable in that space. Yes. Details, spreadsheets. And And I thrive in that environment. I love planning events. (laughs) I do too. I like all the little details. You know, once I get the macro stuff out of the way, that's my favorite part. Yeah. And the the day of the event is always the best day and the worst day. So what's one of the, okay, so wait, let's go back. Tell people what's the name of your company and how long have you been working in that field? So I started a business called MGM Solutions, I guess about 15 years ago, uh, just to do a variety of different things. I started doing... Um, resume help and job interview skills because that's something that seems to be lost and something that they don't teach anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of segued into through various ways kind of like pivots of our business as entrepreneurs we do. (laughs) It kind of segued into working with uh, nonprofits getting started. Mm -hmm. So I've helped about nine nonprofits get started. Uh, nobody should ever write nine 501c3 applications in their life. It's pretty overwhelming. Um, And then I sort of fell into specializing in the military and first responder communities. And I've really had a blessed opportunity 
over the last number of years to work with dozens and dozens of the nonprofits in our area who specialize in supporting those who serve our nation and our neighborhoods. Which is how we met through the Which Honor Bell Foundation. So tell us a little bit about the Honor Bell Foundation. So the Honor Bell Foundation was founded in 2014 with a mission of creating a community of veterans to honor their brothers and sisters in arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we created a 1,000 pound bronze bell. It's the only one of its kind in the country that is used to render honors at veteran funerals. Mm. But we create this community by having veterans join us as volunteers. Only veterans may toll the bell. So we do a lot of outreach. It gives those veterans a new way to serve, a new way to find the camaraderie and the formality that they found in military service. And we also have an education program. So we go into the public, we go into schools, talk about military appreciation, uh, let veterans uh, share their experiences with school-aged children and the general public. So it's really been very special. Um, We've had our ups and downs in our five years, but it's really been a remarkable thing. And I just got off the phone earlier today, as a matter of fact, with a veteran who just found out about us. Mm. And he said, I want to bring this to a new state. I want to grow. What you guys are doing is amazing. And I love that. Yeah. So it's really been exciting. I'll put a link to that podcast on Shakana 2.0 in the show notes so people can learn more about the foundation. Because I think that what you guys are doing is pretty incredible. It is. And what was unique for me, you know, as I said, I'd been working with all of these different nonprofits. And there are many But there are not a lot of unique missions. Mm. A lot of these, uh, especially in the veteran support community, are about TBI, PTS, suicide prevention, employment and homeless transition, reintegration, all of which are incredibly necessary. But when I met the founder, when I met Lou Oliveira and his idea for the bell, it was the first really unique idea I'd heard in the veteran space. And even though I had three other clients at the time and I was doing my consulting, I jumped on it. I said, this is something I have to do. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me, let's go back to events. What what is your most favorite event that you've ever planned? Oh gosh, well, the biggest was the 9-11 Freedom Rally for the 10th anniversary of 9-11. I did that with my former husband. It was out at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Wow. Uh, we had a motorcycle ride of 2,000 riders. We had 11,000 people attend. Uh, we planted 10,000 American flags on the soccer field out there oh to represent all those who died on 9-11 and since as first responders or military. Um, it was a year of crazy and drama and stress and fundraising and chaos, and we were creating a nonprofit um, at the same time to oversee it. Wow! Um, but from that came all the opportunities that I've had oh, since. I see. So did, it was are amazing. Those, in that case, was that um, was that income earning for you? Was that your company? So that was volunteer work. It was. It was. I mean, all it was volunteer. an entryway to other businesses. Absolutely. But at the time, that was still just volunteer yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. And my husband at the time and I were running another business, which we were failing at because we were putting so much of our energy into this. Yeah. And within a year of that, we were former business owners and former husband and wife yeah. and all of those things. But the um, the opportunities, the experiences, the people that I met through that were invaluable. And mm-hmm. I am grateful um, every day, even though there was so much that I lost, I gained so, so much more. Um, and, you know, I look back on the big corporate job I used to have with the $80,000 a year salary and six weeks paid vacation and a travel yeah. budget and a staff and all of that. 
And I loved that, but this is where I'm meant to be. Mm. In the nonprofit world, helping those who have, you know, served our country. And so so what are your what are your plans to do with your company now? Are you still working with Honor Bell Foundation? So Honor Bell Foundation is my primary focus. Okay. Um, it is uh, my full-time job um, and it is where my heart is. So I'm not consulting, I'm not starting any other nonprofits, but I still work with a lot of the nonprofits in the community. I like to think of myself as a connector. Um, and what I say, and this is kind of the tagline of my consulting business is of, I don't have the answer. I know somebody who mm-hmm. does. So I bring people together. I um, get resources to veterans in need and work within the community of veteran support. And Which our paths will continue to cross in that yes. field because you know that Tony and I are going to do a season two of Shock and Awe 2.0. As well so, you should. Yeah. Somebody recently told me, I don't know if this number is accurate, but that there are 450 nonprofits in the metro area that serve the military community. Wow. Denver metro area. Yes, Denver wow. metro area. So yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, and for those of you that are listening, if you haven't heard Shock and Awe 2.0, you should go listen to it because what we do is we are featuring the nonprofits that have received funding from Veterans Passport to Hope and VP2H. Their mission is to recognize the best of the best because they know that there are a lot of nonprofits in the space like you just talked about. And for veterans, it's really hard to know where to navigate. Absolutely. So they're creating sort of the, the cream of the crop um, under what heading so people can navigate where to go to get the services they need. And also fund them because the problem is when you have 450 organizations in one city providing services, dollars can get watered down. Right. Um, so making sure that we streamline that. And honestly, I think collaboration is the key moving forward. It's the only way that it's going to work. And that's been something that's been a focus of mine since I started all this. Mm-hmm. Um, as many nonprofits as I've helped start, I've probably talked twice as many out of starting a new organization. And I've instead said, bring your resources, bring your program, bring your passion to another organization because your idea has a twist, but it's not new. It's not unique. Mm. But if you combine resources, there's so much more you can do. And so I'm really glad uh, to be back in the fold with VP2H. I kind of was about eight years ago, and now I'm back with them because collaboration is critical, Mm -hmm. especially in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having a conversation recently with a gentleman that does consulting for a variety of nonprofits, but he's basically bringing a business model to the business type coaching he does in the corporate world to nonprofits. And we were discussing some of the common challenges. And, you know, I was explaining to him that, listen, I think moving forward in the future for nonprofit organizations, they have to become more lean on overhead because right now you don't need to impress funders anymore by your space and your office and your facilities. That used to be a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it used to be how you presented yourself. Funders wanted their name on the wall of your building, like significant funders. And now that's not the case anymore. And I think that there, there's a lot of co-working space. There's a lot of collaborative sh- sharing of space. But I think that the space becomes now not needed unless you're doing program work in your space. Mm-hmm. But that that's a mindset shift. So a lot of organizations spend a lot of money on overhead where their staff could be working only at home right. or in the communities, working digitally. So some of those high-end overheads and nonprofits, I personally think they're going, going to become um, non-existent. And if nonprofits aren't trying to find ways to filter those expenses out, because really their biggest expense should be their people, because their people is what drives mm-hmm. their programs um, and, and program costs, of course. But I think that that shift of sharing resources is going to be the only way for a lot of nonprofits to survive. 
Absolutely. Especially if we stay in this political climate. Yeah, well, don't get me started. <laughs> we won't, this is not a political show. We won't go there. But I think in in your, you know, in the work that you do, maybe you've seen this too. I'm starting to see more corporate donors and folks who want to underwrite from a corporate position who don't necessarily want their logo on everything. Yeah. They're recognizing, you know what, we have an obligation to be part of our community, whether our logo is all over it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the vehicle in which we carry the honor bell will never look like a NASCAR vehicle. We are yeah. not putting logos all over it because we're at cemeteries. We're on federal property. We are, it's about dignity. And yeah. I've got some corporate sponsors I'm talking to right now. They're like, well, we don't care, you know, thank us here and there on Facebook, but yeah. we don't need to be branded on everything. Well, and that's, those are, oh my gosh, there's we, there's so much we could talk about about that because I, my company, Corporate Cause Agency, as a social impact entrepreneur, I encourage businesses to not write a check. Stop just writing a check. Mm-hmm. Create a partnership. Right. And partnerships can look like anything. It doesn't have to be a logo. In fact, logos on things are really very ineffective anyway. What would be better is for the company that is sponsoring the Honor Bell Foundation to come and get some video and footage of the mm-hmm. Honor Bell itself and push it out to their channels that this is who we believe in. This is why this matches our values. This is what we support. Right. You know, they are, they're better to brand themselves that this matters to us and we're standing by this value and then push that externally. That's a partnership, right? right? But I feel like the logo thing in your case, for sure. In my case, a lot of companies, um, I don't allow, you know, I don't, I don't encourage, I was going to say I don't allow, but that's not the right word. <laughs> um, let's just say under my watch, I would not allow a company to write a check. Without without looking at what is in it for me. And it doesn't have to be something in it for me more than it's going to help us reach our mission of standing by the people in our community or those that serve. Right. Or maybe 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 it'll be the purpose will be that there is an employee of theirs that is touched by some cause um, and there's an association to that. And so their employees will feel closer that they're supporting each other. Right. Those are all valid reasons. Right. right. Um, but the person that you know, walks the door and wants a thousand dollars for the local school that has no connection to that business or that community. I would say that that might not be a good fit. Right. And I'm allowed to say that because I come from 15 years in the nonprofit experience. So as much as people might not love, can like me saying mm-hmm. that I know, cause I've been on that side. Right. So I get it. And for us with honor bell and with most of the veteran nonprofits I've worked with, there's not a lot we can give as far mm-hmm. as, you know, benefits and perks yeah. and things like that. But what we can do with this community of veterans that we're creating, if you have veteran employees, I can engage them. I can also, with contacts that I have and people I work with, I can help you hire veterans and I can help you make it an enriching workplace for them and get the most out of them and give them the most. So there are in a lot of intangible ways. That's a partnership that that we can do. Exactly. And that can be different, right? Right. Yeah, we need to. I'll say, let's correct. I'm going to no longer say I don't want businesses to write checks anymore. I'm going to say I don't want businesses to exchange money for logo placement. Exactly. That's really what I don't want. Because we do need the money. You do need the money. We need to do it in a more creative and community enriching way. Yeah, exactly. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. So amazing. Absolutely. So tell me, so are you remarried? I am. Yes. To the one. I finally found the right one. You have to go through a lot of toads sometimes to find your prince. This is true. Um, and he's, I don't know, if you believe in soulmates, he's as close as I'm going to get. And he's a veteran. He's a partner. He's a cheerleader. He is my biggest supporter. He is the first and the best volunteer mm-hmm. the Honor Bell Foundation has ever had. <laughs> he um, He's everything. He 
truly is and has created by bringing me into his family, created a, a home um, for the first time and a family environment for the first time since I left my own parents' home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very blessed and I'm in a much better place. And he's been with you with some recent health issues. He has. Uh, bless his heart. He, not too long into our relationship, Um, I was diagnosed with leiomyosarcoma, which you've never heard of, Mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of. That's a lot of words. It is. It's a lot of syllables. Um, There are, so there are four basic types of cancer. The one that we're most familiar with is um, carcinomas, breast cancer, lung cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, things like that. That's what most of us hear about. What does that mean? What does what mean? Carcinoma. Carcinoma. Um, I'm not going to, okay. I, I can't get super technical, but those are the most common ones. They travel to, uh, typically through the lymphatic system. Okay. They're more environmentally caused in some cases mm. or genetically caused. Um, and they are just the most common and what most people think about what there are fundraisers for and ribbons for and all of mm-hmm. that. Sarcomas tend to start in soft tissue or in some cases in the bone and sarcomas are very rare of them um, in and of themselves. There's only about, I think, 15,000 sarcoma diagnoses in the United States every year, which sounds like a big number, but it's actually less than 1% of all cancer diagnoses, diagnoses um, in our mm. country. Leiomyosarcoma is an even smaller percentage of that. So there are maybe, oh, a few thousand diagnoses a year. In the world or in the United States? In the United States, but in the world, it's still very rare. Less than one million diagnoses of cancer worldwide are leiomyosarcoma each year. Um, We estimate, um, and we don't know for sure, the group I work with, the National Leiomyosarcoma Foundation, it's a lot of syllables, Mm -hmm. um, we estimate that there may be 40 people in Colorado with this. Um, Wow. So it's small. It's rare. Um, The scariest part of that is that a lot of general practitioners and most folks in the medical field aren't very experienced with it because it doesn't happen very often. Mm. So it is um, most of the time diagnosed late, often 14 to 18 months after a tumor has started. And that's what happened in my case. um, It started in my right thigh. Um, which is fairly common. For women, very often it starts actually in their uterus and is Mm. typically diagnosed initially as just fibroids and, oh, they do a hysterectomy, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it spreads through the bloodstream. So when those tumors are diagnosed late, they're already shedding. Uh, What does that mean, shedding? That cells are spreading throughout your body. So I started having some pain in my right leg couldn't, couldn't put a lot of pressure on it. If I stood for a long time, it was painful. I couldn't sleep on my right side. I couldn't feel anything. There was nothing external. Um, but I started going to the doctor because I was having a lot of pain. Oh, it's sciatica. Oh, it's a pinched nerve. Here's some painkillers. Do some physical therapy. No one ever did any tests. And this no went on. X-rays, no like x-rays. No x-rays. No nothing. Okay. So this went on for a couple of years. Years? Yeah, about two years And then I did start to have a small lump um, on my thigh. And I went to my doctor and she said, oh, it's just a lipoma. It's just a little fatty tumor. It's nothing. We'll keep an eye on it. Don't worry about it. Um, So that was October of 2015. The beginning of 2016, 
we were about to make the honor bell. So we were on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks. I was working 18-hour days. Um, we were on the road for three weeks when we were making the bell. Mm. I was on my feet. I was exhausted. The pain was getting worse. The um, This external lump on my leg was getting bigger and more tender. And after we dedicated the bell, I went back to my doctor and I said, this is not a lipoma. This is something. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at 40. So I had assumed my whole adult life I would wind up with breast cancer. Really? Um, so I started thinking, well, this is probably cancer, but it's kind of weird. Like, who gets something on their leg? Mm-hmm. Bizarre. So my doctor finally said, all right, let's get some tests. Ultrasound, inconclusive. MRI, well, we think there's something there, but let's do a needle biopsy. And finally, they sent me to um, a limb surgical specialist. And a huge shout out, Dr. Ronald Hugate mm. saved my life. He was the guy. He's an army uh, surgeon. He finally said, I know, I know he knew what it was before he did the biopsy. Yeah. But um, he diagnosed it on June 24th, 2016. And it was a word I'd never heard before. And it started this journey that I am still on. Did they take the tumor out? They did. Um, in early July of 2016, I had the tumor removed. At that point, it was about the size of a grapefruit. Oh, my goodness. Um, because it had been growing in there for a while. Wow. Miraculously, all that pain I had in my leg went away. Yeah. Because um, what had happened is the tumor was so large, it, it was pressing on the nerves and pressing on the muscle in my leg. Um, if leiomyosarcoma tumors are caught early enough and removed surgically, sometimes with a little radiation follow-up, there's an 80% cure rate. However, it was late. So by January, by the following January, and I'd had several uh, setbacks. I had a problem with my, uh, my wound site. It didn't heal well. I wound up having three abdominal surgeries with a muscle flap to correct my leg, and then the abdominal surgeries got infected. It's just one thing after another. Um, but by the following January, um, when I had my first scan, it was already in my lungs, which is where it often spreads to. So then I had lung surgery, and then um, in February of 2017, um, my oncologist said, it's time for chemo, and that's when I started chemo. And that was pretty aggressive. There are, um, chemotherapy has advanced quite a bit. And there are now a number of protocols for, you know, even these rare cancers. And we are fortunate here in Colorado to have a sarcoma center. Mm. Um, But I went through, I'm on my third round of chemo right now. They work, they stop working. We try something different. We move on um, and we go through a lot. So everything that you've been talking to us about that you do, everything you're going through in your life, you're also managing and living with cancer. Yes. Do you, I mean, that's a lot. It is a lot. Do you feel like you wake up daily wondering how much time? Uh, Earlier this year, I uh, finally, I decided to go for a second opinion. I trust and love the team that I've been working with. But you're crazy not to get some outside opinions, especially with something like this, Um, because I'd been told I would never be cured. I would never be in remission, but I could be stable. Um, And I've had some periods of stability. So when I went for that second opinion at the Sarcoma Center at University Health, they said, you know, I asked, I said, what am I looking at here? You know, a year, 10 years, 20 years. 
Um, and they said three to 10 years, depending on how things go. And so I thought about that and kind of processed that. Three seems like nothing. 10 doesn't really seem like very much either. Um, but I'm a, I, I'm not a worrier. I, and I, I don't depress easily, which mm-hmm. thankfully, because mm-hmm. otherwise I'd be curled up in a ball somewhere. Um, so I'm not focused on how much time I have left. I'm focused on how much I want to do with whatever I do have left. Mm. Um, frankly, I, I feel like I take my life in my hands driving in Highlands Ranch every day <laughs> when I leave my house. So it's either that or the zombies that might get me before the cancer. Um, but I've got too much to do. So I'm focused on doing as much as I can to fight the cancer. And then on the good days, I'm doing everything else. Well, thank you for sharing. Absolutely. This is, I think that this is close to home for me in a lot of ways. Um, I think I mentioned to you that we recently lost my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, passed away um, from glioblastoma. Mm. He had a tumor in his brain and it happened so fast. (coughs) Excuse me. And... It was hard. It was it was very difficult for all of us. And I think that not having the time to prepare was part of it. But the other part of it was watching somebody that you love be upset. And so I feel like from your perspective, you must look around you and be fueled by positivity in a little ways to help manage what people must feel around you. Because it must be hard to know that your time is limited for the people that love you. It is. Um, and I, I have a pretty dark sense of humor about it. And uh, Dean, I would probably get along with that very well. Just you so kind of you know. have to. Yeah, I know. You know, um, some people do what I call fuzzy bunny, which is they want to be all spiritual and faithful and um, inspirations and, and all of that. And that's great. That works for some people. And it works for me a little bit. But for me, it no, I'm the F cancer kind of girl. Mm. Um, chemo sucks. I'd rather make dark jokes about it yeah. and you know fight it. Um, I know it's hard for the folks around me. Um, I come from a family that's actually riddled with cancer. You know, when they mm. take your medical history and they say, "Oh, you're not of Eastern European Jewish descent, are you by any chance?" And I say, "Yes." Oh, and they kind of make that face and check the box. And well, that's the kiss of death. Uh, We have a lot of cancer in our uh, population. Um, The number of people in my family who haven't had any cancer is much smaller. Wow, interesting. uh, Different kinds. Um, So it's something that we've always dealt with. We lost my mom a number of years ago uh, to breast cancer. Um, So I know it's something that we're cognizant of, but... I've got to focus on the good days. And for me right now, the chemo protocol I'm on right now is pretty tolerable. Mm. I actually have hair, which is Mm -hmm. a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I choose to focus on the good days. Uh, Dean, my husband, he shares that dark sense of humor with me, but we also focus on on what we can that's positive. Yeah. And that's the way we choose to deal with it. Yeah. So you feel like it's manageable now? Today it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, this protocol, you know, the, the, there's a there's a, a protocol, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, we start you on this chemo, and it works for a little while, but it does this to you. And then we start you on this one, and so we're going kind of in order. And now that I've gotten more involved in the LMS community, I've had so many setbacks, so many things that I thought were weird, were just me. Mm. But now that I'm in the community, I realize the progression of this disease takes some very predictable courses. And so there's a lot of people who've been through setbacks and weird 
side effects and things. Mm. So we compare notes. You know, oh, I'm starting this protocol. How did you deal with mm. it? And and um, this particular drug that I'm on right now, some people struggle with it. Um, there's a woman who's at my same cancer center. We have the same doctor. I kind of call her my chemo doppelganger <laughs> um, because we've had a very similar experience mm. since our initial diagnosis. She and I were started on the same medicine about a month apart. She had a horrible time with it, wound up hospitalized, mm-hmm. had a lot of uh, lung edema, problems like that. I've been, for me, it's been a cakewalk, especially compared to the prior two protocols. I'm achy and fatigue for a couple of days, taking, you know, I sleep for maybe two days afterwards, but then I'm great and I only go every three weeks. So I have two and a half solid weeks where I can work and go crazy and do all these silly events Mm -hmm. and just get out there in the world. So where I am right now, I feel great. I feel blessed. I'm fortunate and I'm taking advantage of it and doing the best I can because this won't last forever. There will be downtime. And, you know, so how has this, I mean, how has this changed your perspective? Like what message do you feel that you want to share with everyone after? Because it's, it's, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's a if it's easier or more difficult, and maybe you could have an opinion on this. To know in advance that you're, we all know our time is limited. Right. You know your time is shorter than you expected mm-hmm. it to be, but the truth is, mine could be short tomorrow. Right. So we don't really know. But has has this changed how your perception is on what you want to share with the world about life? You know, I've always been one. I've always believed we could all step off a curb and get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yeah. Right. You don't know, and I don't know if it's better to be sudden or if it's yeah. better to be a long so you time. Know what I mean. I've yeah. experienced both with family members, mm. with friends, with suicide, um, and none of them are easy. So I'm, I'm not counting days. I'm not looking at it like that. I think I've always been a fairly glasses half full kind of person with a lot of sarcastic cynicism added in, but, um, I, I, like I said before, I just look at it as what I want to accomplish and what I want to maybe legacy. I think that's a word you and I talked about when we first mm-hmm. decided to do this. Uh, I want to leave something behind. I want to have a, made my mark and be remembered fondly as somebody who really did something positive in the community. And so the more I can do in whatever days I have left, whether it's two days, whether it's 20 years... Um, I'm what I am doing more now, though, is being more mindful of my limits Hmm. because I'm one of those people who never says no. I always want to take on something new. As a matter of fact, in the last year, I took on some new things. And then about six months ago, I said, you know what? I can't do that. I have to clear the decks a little bit so I can really focus on what I want to focus on. And I have to focus on my health because even though I'm doing well now and I'm stable and things are going all right, um, exhausting myself, running myself ragged, getting stressed isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. And it's not helpful for any of us, no matter what your health is. This is true. Yeah. Um, So I am trying to do better about that. Dean is very good about keeping Mm -hmm. me on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm trying to just really focus on where I can make the biggest impact um, right now, for me, that's the honor bell. That's getting more bells and expanding the foundation and doing a few other things, spending time with my family. Um, and 
Yeah. Yeah. So leaving a legacy matters to you a lot. And the legacy that you have already built is giving back and serving those that have served mm-hmm. our country. That I know that you're really passionate about that. And part of what brought up that word legacy is when you told me that you've never really talked about yourself, like you haven't been on this side of the microphone, right? right? Um, I felt really strongly that this was our chance to 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 share your story and who you are because your outlook is is really unique. You know, you 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 might not feel like you are doing this in any special way and that you're coping and, and you're just, you know, taking it day by day. But being in your presence now like I have, you're doing way more than that. You are you. you are internalizing that and then shining it outwardly with kindness towards other people. Um, and it's pretty spectacular. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, a lot of people um, have said, you're brave, you're inspiring, you're so strong. And I know that that's well-intentioned and I appreciate it, but it doesn't, I, I for me, I just, this is what I want to do. It's as much rewarding and self-satisfying as it is giving to the community because this is what makes me happy and this is what you know my mom instilled in me she volunteered her whole life too and and did everything and i'm i may be fulfilling her legacy in part two because her life was cut short also mm-hmm. and there was so much that she did mm-hmm. um, but i look around um i don't have any children of my own but i have four step children um, and I have three grandchildren, mm. and I look at what our world is and where things are and what will be for them in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and I can't change everything. I can't fix the entire world. But if I can fix my corner of it, and if I can instill in them some respect for the community and some desire to give back, then that's important to me. And if I can, ins- if anything I do inspires somebody to, even volunteer for an hour or make a difference in their little corner of the world, then that's the legacy I want to leave also. And don't you think that living in that way of giving, that's a, I mean, that's servant leadership too. I mean, don't you feel that that's a choice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, um, I have volunteered in one way or another most of my adult life. Um, I have found my way far deeper into that nonprofit and community side of it. But I, I just, I can't, I don't understand people who don't. And it's not a criticism, right? No, I, but I it's understand. just not my mindset. Right. I understand. And I, I feel the same way. I mean, I've been volunteering since I was 15. My first volunteer gig was in high school. Um, we had to choose like some sort of like career day. And I chose to go volunteer at a youth treatment facility, which mm-hmm. was far away from where I lived. The kids were older than me. And I probably had no business being in that particular ward that I wanted to work in. But I just knew that I had something that other people didn't and that didn't feel fair to me. So I always wanted to level the playing field and give what I could give. And I use this analogy for a, a lot of people that I know if they're depressed or they're not motivated to do something in their life. In fact, I can tell you, I mean, off the top of my head, I have several friends that I've spoken to recently and had the conversation about them being in a rut mm-hmm. and just kind of bored. And my response to those questions are always, where can you go give back in the community? Right. Like find something that lights you up, something that you really care about and go and just give to somebody else because there's nothing like making your own problems seem small when you're giving to somebody else. Absolutely. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to happen 
as much as it should, but it's it's a recommendation I make a lot, especially if somebody is not in a good mental space or they're feeling, ooh, I want to use the word like a victim or that they, they're sad because they don't have something they want in life or something didn't work out the way that it did. My, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a sensitive person, but in some instances, I want to say it's okay. It could be so much worse. So go go find somewhere to put your heart in for a little bit. Connect with other people. Give. I mean, that giving is, it's, it is selfish in a way because it makes you feel good. But that feel good of giving, to me, is really the key to happiness in life. Absolutely. And it is. It's about perspective. It really is. Because as, you know, I have this horrible cancer. I've had 10 surgeries, three rounds of chemo, two rounds of radiation, blah, 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 all this stuff. But there is, there are many people far worse off than me and every day, no matter, and it's not a competition. You know, I have a friend who I talk to pretty regularly and he's like, Oh, I'm having a bad day. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. But he always says, at least I don't have cancer. Well, yeah, you know, we all have something that we're dealing with emotionally, physically, health wise. There's always something in your life, but there's always somebody or something worse off. And that's not, a competition. No, it's you perspective. Don't, you don't owe anything to anybody, right. but it's perspective. And you get a lot more perspective when you help somebody else. And there are, you know, oh, you know, everybody wants to volunteer at the Humane Society and play with the puppies. That's really cute and that's fun. But there's so many other things. And mm-hmm. one thing I did with my consulting business was try and match volunteers. People say, I want to do something in my community, but I don't know what. So I'd say, well, I know all of these nonprofits. You tell me what you like to do and what interests you. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is, religion, health, dogs, kids, whatever. But let's see if we can just find a way for you to be part of it. We There are a lot of people in this country. There are a lot of people in this world. And there are a lot of missions that need to be fulfilled. And I think you're doing yourself as well as your community a disservice mm-hmm. if you don't try and give back in some way. And even yeah. if that is writing a check, sometimes that's all you can do, then yeah. that's great. Yeah. But yeah, from an individual's perspective, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. I think I'll give you an example. One thing I'm, I'm really, I really am, this is, I want to word this correctly. I'm really passionate about spending time with babies. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's just something so special about the innocence of these new cells, like mm-hmm. born into this world sure. and they're not tainted with the hardships of life yet. Right. And my friends call me the baby whisperer. So mm-hmm. I, I've always really just enjoyed that. And I have one friend that has recommended to me that I should consider fostering. Mm-hmm. And I still have two kids at home, so I won't be fostering. Right. But we, we started looking at, well, how, how could I temporarily foster? Or how could I relieve parents that are fostering babies? And we found a couple of options. One of them was they, they have these new programs where you can go in hospitals and hold a crying baby mm-hmm. at night um, because they've been born of addiction. addiction. And so they're right. going through withdrawals. But we know the human contact, right? right? Like for babies, we know human contact like literally makes a difference between life and death. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, we're, we're still looking into that because the one location in Colorado Springs has a waiting list. So then I, I started thinking about this whole, they have these organizations that support foster families because you know foster families, right? They bring in kids that sure. have gone through hardships and they give them a home and so they have relief service for fostering families. So that's, oh, that's and then I was having this conversation just recently with Foster Together Colorado and sure enough, last weekend I was out for, last week I was out for dinner and I met a guy who is about to adopt his fourth foster child wow. and um, it's a baby and I casually off the cuff just said, hey, 
I've been looking for somewhere to like help a family that's fostering kids. Like, do you ever need a babysitter? And like, what, like, what can I do? There you go. And then look what happened. Right. And it's mm-hmm. just these, these situations where you can be kind and help somebody else. Yeah. And there's so many ways I'm going to put in a plug for an organization that I just found recently. It's called dogs on deployment. Mm. Um, we, I'm a dog lover. I have had dogs I'm a dog lover. forever. You're talking to the right person. I know. And you've got a German <laughs> shepherd, right? Husky so German shepherd. I have mix, a German yeah. shepherd on deployment with us right now. Oh. So what this organization does is when active duty service people are either deploying or going on training maneuvers or something like that so that they don't have to board their animals or get rid of them. They match them with families in their areas who are willing to foster their pets, dogs and cats for a little while. Um, And it's just a win, win, win. We lost uh, just before Christmas, we put our last dog uh, to sleep and um, my husband and I had made an, ag- an agreement that we were going to take a critter break for a little while mm. for a variety of reasons, for my health, for our schedule. And we just, you know, didn't want to get attached again. We'd lost three dogs in three years. Um, wow. But I had not. And they were all senior dogs. They all had lived long oh, and yeah. healthy lives. Yeah. Um, but it was the first time in 23 years I didn't have an animal in wow. the house. And I was going into withdrawals. And I found dogs on deployment. And we said, you know what? Let's give this a shot. So we are on our second foster right now. We're doing short-term ones. We're not, we haven't taken on like a year deployment yet, um, but we have a German Shepherd with us now. Her dad's out in Fort Knox doing some training. Um, and it's so great because you get, love it. you get the critter fix, right? You're doing a good deed for a service person. You're supporting them. It costs you nothing. And it's just this great thing. So I cannot speak highly enough I of this organization. Okay, we'll put their we'll put a link to their <laughs> to their organization in the show notes because that is that it's is amazing. really amazing. Yeah. Yes. That but that's 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 the thing, people. If you're listening, you know, you should find a way to give back. There's so many little ways you, you know, can what, do it. I mean, what we're really talking about is is Michelle has, you know, you you have this attitude of giving to others so much. And I, I truly believe in the core of my soul that this is why you are managing your cancer and your life and your challenges the way that you are is because you are giving so much to other people. And it's it's a valuable lesson that I think so many people can learn from. It, well, thank you. I mean, I, I focus on the work that I want to do. I mean, I had some downtimes and I technically resigned from the foundation at one point when, mm. you know, I was going through my second round of chemo and I just couldn't get out of bed for days at a time. Um, but I want, you know, when I'm sitting in bed not feeling well, I had I pulled my laptop out. I was like, all right, well, I can't get out of bed, but I at least want to still check my emails and do stuff. Work is what drives me. Work and giving back is what, um, it's it's what drives me. That's the only way I can say it. Well, it's and your purpose. I mean, that is, is your purpose. It is. And so that is why... You know, when I found out about the National Leomyosarcoma Foundation and that the leadership is actually here in Denver, I jumped on it. I said, well, how can I give back to this community? I've never really worked in the um, health nonprofit field so much, but as rare as this disease is, as few of us as there may be, what can I do with my nonprofit background, with my marketing background? Is there something I can do to at least help? So now I'm running their social media Mm. um, and I'm helping you know, spread the word and try and engage a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We're working on their website and trying to bring it back up. Um, you know, it's a challenge. Any nonprofit has its challenges mm-hmm. for sure. But raising the awareness and at least connecting with the community 
and you know being able to offer my experience to other people who are you know just got diagnosed and are new to it that I'm finding that incredibly mm. rewarding too. You know, like that, that it's the community piece that's so important. And you bring up a really good point because I remember when my son was young, um, he had seizures, and we connected with, you know, an association, a couple of different associations actually, and I ended up starting one in a local city I was at. But we connected with people that had children that were going through the same situation, and it was a lifesaver. There is just something very special about being able to connect with other people who understand what you're going through. So if we will include the link to, I'm not going to try to say it, <laughs> um, but we'll include the link to that organization that because be if there's anybody else who has experienced it or knows somebody that has, we know the power of sharing our word. We know the power of these types of shows where people can learn something Absolutely. and really experience and share with somebody else that people are going to be listening and there's going to be someone we're going to touch who's going to want to know more about the association. And that's powerful, um, you know, because it's terrifying when you get a diagnosis you've never heard of. When your child mm. has some condition that you've mm -hmm. never seen or heard of um, or, you know, it, it's now it's you. It's kind of out here a lot, yeah. you know, and then when it happens to you, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and to get these diagnoses or to find out there's something wrong with someone you care about. And when now that you know there's a place you can go and get support, even if it's just, I gotcha, I've been through it, um, tips and tricks on, you know, some chemos can cause mouth sores. So we, you know, we have these tips for different kinds of mouthwash and gargles and things that you can do and you know, how to take care of your scalp when you lose your hair, just silly things like that. But they mean the world to somebody who's facing this. Um, and caregivers too. Caregivers struggle a lot with these kind of rare diseases and conditions and caregivers need support too. And that's a part of this foundation also is that we include family and caregivers and give them an opportunity to share and, and vent. That's and amazing. Help. Yeah. And are there like national cancer organizations that would also cover this type of cancer as well, that people would qualify for families for education and support? Um, it, it falls under that heading, right? Cause I mean, the American cancer society can't do it all. They do a lot. Yeah. Um, so the American cancer society is involved. Stand up for cancer. Okay. Um, does some things, uh, national Myosarcoma foundation focuses specifically on LMS. Um, and there are some other kind of small organizations. For example, there's one, um, that focuses on sarcomas in your extremities. Mm, so I, I actually got a small grant to help offset some of my medical I costs see. because mine was in my leg. You know, I so see. there are a lot yeah, of little okay. grants and most cancer centers um, have social workers within their staff mm -hmm. who specialize in this sort of thing, finding ways to help you. They do programs. I'm with Rocky Mountain Cancer Centers, which are pretty, um, they have a number of facilities around Colorado and they're great. And they have a lot of programs that they run themselves uh, to offer all sorts of tips and tricks on different kinds of cancer. And so there's a lot of resources out there. Um, but you've got to find them and it's a lot of legwork and finding ones that focus on these rarer cancers can be a little more digging. And so for people that are listening that want to support the LMS, because mm -hmm. um, that's that I can say, you haven't yes. used that acronym before. So yes. now I'm like, okay, LMS. now I can say LMS. Um, yes. If people want to support that association, what is the website they can go to? So it's nlmsf.org, National Leo Myosarcoma Foundation. 
Um, And we capitalize all the letters in in the logo so that you can see it. Um, But they are, actually, they've got a really exciting project going on this fall. They have researchers and clinicians from around the world coming together in September, I think, for an international roundtable to talk about some of the advances in research. Mm. Where are they Um, meeting? uh, Florida, I think. Um, But there are some great sarcoma centers in the United States, and we have a list of those on the website. And then there are a handful around the country, around the world, excuse me. Um, But there aren't as many. I know there isn't one in the entire country of Australia. So we have a lot of people in our support group who Mm. are from Australia and New Zealand, and most of their oncologists are not familiar enough with sarcoma. Mm. People travel all over the world to get treatment and second opinions and things like that for this disease. So my last question to you is, you know, what, what message would you want other people to know that are facing a new cancer diagnosis? Do your research, but don't make yourself insane. Trust your oncologist. And if you don't get a second opinion, get a third opinion. Never go to an appointment alone, especially early in your diagnosis. Bring a notebook, make questions, make a list of questions before you walk in, mm-hmm. as silly as they may be. Um, and bringing that second person because you're, it's, it's overwhelming. You need somebody else, another set of years. I'm fortunate because Dean is in the healthcare field. So he um, has been a great advocate for me. He helped a lot when I was in the hospital for four and five days because he knew to look for things and ask for things that somebody else might not. So if you do have somebody who is in the healthcare field that you can bring with you and be a friend, that's awesome. Um, but be your own advocate ask questions, explore opportunities. No, um, no question is stupid. And if you don't feel that yeah. your care team is listening to you, then move on. Good advice. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank I really you. appreciate you being willing to be so honest and, sh- um, and share your experience. And like I said, I, I, the most phenomenal part of what you share is that you you are definitely thriving by giving back. And I'm I'm just honored that we had the chance to have oh. our paths cross. And listen, let's we need to do some some work with our dogs together or yeah. with babies or something. You know, yeah. we should we'll find something to do Absolutely. together. And I will include those links in the show notes. And you know, we will stay in touch and follow your journey. And I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for what you do in the community as well. well. Thank you. And you know I've got one more question for you. Absolutely. What is your percentage of grit and grace? Ah, uh, what day is it? <laughs> um, it's only Monday, so I mean, Monday for me, just so you know, Monday for me means way more grit. Um, I'm going to say it hovers somewhere around seventy thirty, depending on the day. I uh, grit is where I want to be, especially the more the older I get mm-hmm. and the more down the road. I have zero tolerance for BS and mm-hmm. ignorance and. Um, I don't suffer fools easily, mm. but grace is my job. Mm-hmm. You know, diplomacy and staying on the high road. I, um, I have a good friend who's a career army, and at a particularly difficult time with a former nonprofit I was working with, there was a lot of drama and a lot of BS, and you know, stuff that just makes you question why you're doing it. Mm. And he said, Michelle, the most important thing to remember is keep your eyes on the mission and stay on the high road. So that is my grace, and I re- that is on my wall above my desk, and I repeat it and think of it every day. So I always try and maintain at least 30% grace there, but I, love I can be gritty. I love that so much. It's the most powerful thing. I'm going to tattoo it, I think, one of these days. You know, I we're going to go on a side tangent here. Um, you know, I've recently moved my show from one network to mm-hmm. another, and 
I, I, I won't lie. It's been hard. It sure. doesn't matter why you make change. Change is hard. And yep. Not everybody agrees with change. So when you do something like that, it creates ripples yep. that aren't always positive. And um, I spoke to you know one of the podcasters from the previous network, that w- who I'm just grateful for. I, that's, I have nothing but gratitude for. But actually, in the message I wrote, the high road is the only place I choose to be. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've stuck to that, actually. And it's been hard. It's been hard. It and, you know, it's, but that is, that is good. And sometimes you have to cling to the high road by your fingernails. Yes. And my tongue is pretty scarred from biting it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But um, the high road is the only place to be. And yeah. focus on the mission and, and you won't go wrong. Amen, sister. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for listening. This is Grit and Grace. And if you are listening to us on Himalaya, please make sure that you follow us so you can stay tuned when new episodes come out. And we'd love to hear from you. So give us a comment and a like. And if you're listening on any other listening apps, because we're there too, just make sure that you give us a rating and let us know that you have been tuning in. And my friends, go be fierce. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all the exciting things that are happening because we're going to be bringing you new stuff on the Himalaya app, which is only going to be available there at different times as it comes out. So thank you again for listening. And I want to tell you one special thing about Himalaya. As a social impact entrepreneur, one thing I appreciate about them the most is that they are not only focused on you as the listener and what matters to you, but they allow you to support your favorite podcasters and we totally feel your love. So thank you very much. Studio provided by Be Creative Media and Learning Lab in Lakewood. This amazing video is provided by Janine at Tailwind Media. Podcast notes and editorial provided by the Podcast Maven. And my friend Les helps with all the post-production. And if you're looking for information on any of this amazing tribe of people that help bring you the show, let me know and I'll be happy to get you their information. And you can find me, I'm Taver Lee, and all that I do with Taver Lee's tribe or at Corporate Cause Agency at Taver. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E dot com.